Hello and welcome, my name is Rob Wong and this is the only podcast dedicated to helping you create sexy connection while keeping it authentic. Welcome to Dating Smash, honest attraction for clever humans! Okay, so today we're talking about fights. In fact, I want to cover off on the four different types of fights that show up again and again and again in relationships. The fights that you cannot seem to escape. These fights, if you learn how to deal with them well, will make your relationship. Anytime that you get into a conflict, you will emerge feeling like your relationship is stronger and better. Because you'll know how to resolve them. And if you don't learn to deal with them, the consequences are pretty dire. Um, it can feel like you're trapped in a situation where there is no end to the conflict that you experience. And every day, it feels like you're walking on eggshells, like you're just trying to survive being in close proximity with this other human being that you thought that you knew. Not a great situation. Now, here's the root of all of this. The one thing that I've noticed is that whenever my partner and I get into a big fight, that's almost never the end of it. Like, unless that big fight gets immediately resolved and we repair quickly, um, afterwards, we're going to suffer from an onslaught of smaller, sort of seemingly unrelated fights. They might not be about the same thing, but underneath, they're kind of about the same thing. So that's what we're going to be covering off on today. So first, let's start off with the science of all this, right? The smart and dumb thing about the human brain is that it does not forget conflict. Instead, it creates a physical change in itself, in your brain. So this change lets your brain know that it can't let its guard down. It's got to be prepared for a fight. It's got to ruminate on that fight so that you can prepare for the oncoming battle. Which is really good when you don't want to be devoured by a pack of wolves. And really not good when you're trying to communicate with your partner or even with your date, if you are still on the dating scene. So the problem with this system is that until the source of the conflict is resolved, um, we literally cannot stop thinking about it. Now, it might get less pronounced over time, right? Over time, old injuries seem to fade a little bit. But there, it's always there in the background. Like the minute that we think about that one person in our lives, that it's just like, like there's that like clenching, that falling up of anger, right? And we all, generally all of us have one person like that in our lives. But it's right there. It's just kind of underneath the surface. So now that you know how it feels, now that you know that it's there, that you're aware of it, um, you also want to be aware of this fallacy, right? Maybe when you have that big fight, it's not so bad. You can just cope with it, right? The, the after effects, your emotions being a little bit out of whack, that's all right. You know, just push it aside. But then the next fight happens. And then maybe we get bad news about our job or you run into some family drama or something else happens in our lives. Maybe a friend gets sick. Maybe someone says something to us just off the side of the road that really, really, really irritates us. We get more stressed and more stressed and more stressed 
And then the next thing we know, you and your partner, or I and my partner, have become that screaming, angry couple with having that no-holds-barred cage match in the desert aisle of Trader Joe's. So, not my favorite space to operate from. Um, <laughs> but, since I've spent so much time within that arena of conflict, I can give you with confidence four areas where that conflict will turn up repeatedly and how to get past them. So I want you to pay extra attention to the ones that apply to you, of course, but the more you can identify what's happening in the moment, just in general, when those fights start to build up, the more you can prevent that conflict altogether. So the first tra the first trap, uh, I guess, <laughs> the first thing we're gonna be talking about is something that I'm gonna call the assumption trap. Um, why the fuck is Nick always complaining about his job when he could be doing something about it instead, right? Or, you got dinner already, honey? Why didn't you order me some? The least you could do is be considerate. Now, the assumption trap is probably the hardest thing for people to catch because, honestly, it's kind of the air we breathe, right? This We're just used to thinking a certain way about certain things. The stuff is really difficult for other people to call out too, without making the other person feel really defensive. For instance, if I were to accuse you of just being really negative, that would feel like a personal attack, because in a lot of ways it kinda is. That style of thinking, even the thoughts just running through our minds, we begin to associate those with who we actually are rather than just being kind of, kind of like the background noise or the few, few of the processes running in the background of the uh, computers of our minds. It's such a background part of our reality that it's almost invisible to most of us when it happens, especially if we haven't been trained on catching it. So the assumptive trap usually happens when we assume something about the other person, probably about the way that they think about the world. The most common assumptive trap is assuming that everyone thinks about the world in the exact same way that we do. Right? Every time that we think they could have only meant this by their text. Right? When they do this, it could have only meant that they were trying to offend me. When they do this, they are just being the asshole. The hard truth of that situation is that that's how we <laughs> would have acted in that context, right? Like, if I'm driving and I have someone suddenly cut in front of me, my automatic assumption is that this person was just being a dick, right? Like, they, they are inconsiderate and they're a dick. And the reason for that is I'm only able to process what I would do in that situation, right? If I'm putting myself in their shoes, most of the time the only thing I'm going to be able to do is put my logic process through their situation, and then I end up with my behavior pattern. So <laughs> the stuff that really, really annoys us about other people are actually kind of just our own behavioral traits. Now. The assumptive trap is really easy to, well, it's not, I wouldn't say it's really easy, actually. It's, it's easier for us to resolve 
our own assumptive traps than it is to start calling out other people's. A lot of times that occurs as a fight, as an attack, as blame, and it just escalates the conflict. The best thing to do when it comes to assumptions is to be aware of when we're annoyed, when we're bothered, when we're angry, when we're frustrated. And in those moments, recognize that there is some component of who we are as people that's causing us to be that angry, right? If there's something about someone that bothers me implicitly, consider that maybe there's a fragment of them that reminds us of a fragment of us that we really, really don't like. So, um, another easy way to fall face first in this, into this spiky hole, this pit of a trap, is to project that that person is a specific way because they remind us of someone else. You always do this, you're exactly like my mom. She reminds me of so-and-so, and I hate her. Now, while this is really convenient as part of our wiring, right? this, this is innate. Um, it saves us from having to think too hard about who other people are to us in the world, right? If we had to create a unique category for every single person that we met, how exhausting would that be? At least in concept, right? In application, it's not so bad. But we can't help but draw connections between people that we know and people that we met. But that also creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I expect the very worst from someone because they remind me of someone that I hate, how likely is this person to feel that energy coming off me? How likely are they to feel my rejection and judgment? And then act in a way that makes that come to life. Act in a way that is consistent to that. Because they feel like I hate them already, am I not just opening the door for them to act like they hate me too? Makes it super easy, right? Now, moving on to trap number two, I would say that this is kind of the basis for almost all conflict. So, if we were to say that all fights are guaranteed to happen when we're at a 7 out of 10, for instance, where one is things are amazing, life works, and every day is a good day, and uh, let's say 10 is things are completely on fire, we are in fetal position in bed, and we cannot even... Consider that every little stressor that we have in our lives that goes unresolved will bump up that one to a two or three, eventually a four or five, right? And from here, we're only one or two little incidents away from for sure having a verbal face punching match with our partner, right? That's why we get into fights over who has to drive. That's why we get into fights over what show to watch on Netflix. It's not the cause of the fight. It might not even be that we're that invested in what we watch on Netflix, right? It, it might not be that important to us, but it's kind of the thing that pushes us over the edge from that five to that seven where we are guaranteed to have that fight. And then uh, I think the, the mistake that I see a lot of people making at this point is then they resolve the fight and maybe they put a system in place but the system isn't about how they're going to get less activated, how they're going to get rid of that emotional charge. 
the system is about like how they're going to pick out a show on Netflix so both of them don't get like angry and argue about it again, which isn't as effective, right? We're only dealing with one very remote branch on this vast tree, this forest of a problem, a very specific isolated incident when we could be dealing with the root of the issue, which is how triggered are you? Now the way around this trap is of course to figure out what helps you feel better about life, what helps you feel more capable, and whether that's getting a massage, going out for a run, working out until you are sweaty and ready to drop, it's going to take something. But this one is of course also the easiest to resolve. A lot of times it just involves self-care. Simple things like making sure that you get enough sleep. Simple things like making sure that you're hydrated and that you're getting enough to eat. All the basics of life. Now the reason for this is simple, right? When our body feels like it's not getting enough nutrition, when our body feels like it is not getting enough water, uh, we get like hangry. Uh, and that is your body going into survival mode. It thinks it's going to die, so it's willing to do whatever it takes. It's willing to get into a fight so that you get your needs met. And so making sure those things are all taken care of is super important. If you have a counselor in your life, if you have a coach in your life, especially, especially important that you keep them in the loop about the little things that happen. Get help. Reach out to friends, community. Make sure that you are fully resourced. And I promise you that you will get into like 90% less fights. The third fight, uh, the third trap that we're going to be talking about today is the nice guy or nice girl trap. And this is the one that I see happening all the time to people who have a hard time saying no. I, I get blindsided by this one all the goddamn time. It's real easy. So I agree to do a favor and volunteer my time because I think it's nice or the proper thing to do. And then when it starts messing with my schedule, for instance, I'll get resentful and depressed. Right? It's like, who is this person to always be asking things of me? And like, I can't even, I can't deal with this right now, right? Like, this is stressing me out. And I'll want, I'll want to drop it. It'll turn into an issue. This will fester with me until I communicate about it, right? The minute that we as humans stop expressing our needs and just bottle them up, the minute we stop expressing our emotions in a healthy way and pretend like everything's okay, the minute we start thinking, I just have to survive the next week and everything will be fine. We're in the trap, right? Maybe I don't feel heard when I talk to my girlfriend and she's half listening, half posting something on Twitter. And then that turns into resentment, right? Because it's like, hey, why are we even spending time together if you're not gonna like pay attention when we communicate? But then maybe I keep it passive aggressive. I let out a sarcastic comment or two, right? And that, that kind of irks her, that builds conflict a little bit more. And at the end of that cycle, you have a full blown fight. It's really easy to try to get through life try, trying to be nice, trying to not step on toes. But at the end of the day, this causes the, the opposite issue, right? Where it builds and it builds and it builds and then we lash out, right? And that's a conflict. Not healthy. I'm totally guilty of this one. 
So this is all rooted in the idea that since I don't, or since in theory, if I am not clearly communicating my relationship expectations in a non-confrontational way, I've just set myself up for a world hurt. So this one too is also really easy to manage. Anytime that you start to feel frustrated and unexpressed, if you start to feel like powerless in a situation, resentful of someone else, there is also a really good chance that there is something very, very basic to be done in terms of communicating your needs to another person. For instance, I used to have this thing about money, where if I lent money to someone else, there was this background pressure in my mind of like, oh God, they haven't paid me back again. I wonder if I'm just going to have to chase them down for the rest of eternity, waiting for them to give me back the money that I lent them. And I came to realize that I just wasn't communicating about it, right? Like, hey, this is really bothering me. Um, can we can we sit down and talk about this? Hey, like, I'm usually really sensitive when it comes to lending out money to friends. It creates like this weird stress in me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to lend you that money. Most people are going to be okay with that communication. What doesn't work for people is when I start getting passive aggressive about it and getting angry that this person hasn't been paid me back, but I haven't said anything about it, right? So they don't know that this is happening for me, or maybe they've completely forgotten that they borrowed money from me, which would in turn make me even angrier. And then I would just bottle it up and then explosion later on, right? Maybe I just stop talking to this person and they have no idea why. Don't do it. So the last kind of fight that we're going to be talking about today is probably the most difficult to address, and this one I'm going to call the value clash. Now it isn't so much as a trap, it's not so much a trap as it is like a direct conflict in my perceived beliefs versus theirs. The reason why it's so difficult to resolve is not that, it's not that these ideals that people hold are irreconcilable, right? It's it's that when I hear the opposite point of view, the opposing point of view from what I actually believe. So if I'm a Democrat and I hear the Republican point of view or vice versa, if I'm Republican and I hear news from CNN about Nancy Pelosi, it's going to cause me physical pain. My brain is going to interpret that in the same way it would if I sliced open a finger, right? So it's very difficult for us to receive opposing information. Um, anything that feels like it's attacking our worldview will, will manifest as pain. And that's the tricky part. When people feel pain, they go into, and they go into fight or flight, right? They fall into that activated trap. And then you're very likely to get into a fight. So the thing to do in this situation is to first make sure that people feel safe and unattacked and that they feel resourced so you want to find an environment that is mutually supportive one that both of you love and that you're okay with keep things low-key do not operate neither person should be operating with a tone that feels aggressive or condescending or like it's talking down to someone or that it's like i was going to say aggressive again but i've already said that so let's keep forward let's move on so from there Having a conversation about why those values are really important can help bridge the gap, right? Compassion is going to go way further in this conversation than shame or blame or trying to make the other person wrong. I will never convince someone to change to the opposite political party 
by shaming them about what their current party is doing. Right? Just not going to happen. That will cause them to get defensive and to wall up and kind of pull into their little hole, right? They're not going to want to talk to me. Rather, it is really, really important in the situation. If this relationship is worth redeeming, if this relationship is something that I want to fight for, to get really present to what they believe and why. If they're an anti-vaxxer, why is this important to them? What is at the core of their beliefs? Is it that they just want to protect their kids? Is it that they want their kids to be healthy and happy? Nine times out of ten, I can I can guarantee you that's what they want. And once I begin to understand that, I can also find ways to introduce new information about that. But it can't happen unless they feel like they're heard and accepted. And that's the tricky part. That's where we really can't let ourselves get out of control. We really can't let ourselves get activated because the minute that happens, it's going to be a fight. Things won't go the way that we want them to go. The really important thing to remember before any of these any of these conversations will happen, before any kind of preventative measures will happen, is understanding what you want to get out of the conversation. If you are going to be engaging with someone and trying to change their mind, be perfectly aware of, hey, that, that's my goal. And these things will run counter to my goal. Stuff like blame, stuff like attacking, and stuff like making the other person feel like they're an idiot. I'm not going to go over well. I'm not going to be able to prove my point. But understand, once you're good there, you'll be able to handle basically any conflict that comes your way. Now, it won't be perfect. You're going to have some things backfire in your face. And that's okay, too. All it takes is a willingness to try again. And understanding that repairing conflicts isn't perfect, you will not be able to have 100% success. It probably will be closer to like 40 or 50%. But the understanding is this, when you continue to fail forward, eventually you will get what you want to get. Alright, that is all the time that we have for today. My name is Rob Wong, and this has been another episode of Dating Smash. If you got something from it, feel free to give us a like, a share, a comment, or subscribe. And we'll catch you in the next one.